Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show's hashtag leadership and hashtag CTN Talk Show. Our topic for today's show is uh, cracking the leadership code. And we have Steve Farber, who's the president and founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, honor is all ours. And we also have Chris Hulberg, President Traction. How are you, sir? I'm awesome. Don't worry, I'll get better. <laughs> I like that. So uh, the topic we took here, and and we wanted to further, you know, probe deeper into this leadership, um, you know, area where most of the technology leaders, who of course are part of our audience as well as business leaders, they always are looking to get better and incrementally better, and that is perfectly okay. However, there are many who aspire to get there but are scratching their head that how on earth some people have the greatest uh, admiration, there is a following, they have the best job in the world, they inspire others, including themselves, and they want to get to that coveted level. So is this a science? Is this an art form? Is that a cracking a code problem? So we wanted to really have two experts who come from different walks of life share their experiences working with various leaders on what works and what's that code, first of all, we are trying to crack. So, um, Steve, I'll start with you. When we're looking at uh, any leader, we say, oh, yeah, this guy's a born leader. Or, or yeah. we say, you know, we, we kind of give credit to some background they had versus what the person must have done themselves. Is this truly right. a privilege yeah. trait? Yes, the age-old question, are leaders born or are they made? And the, uh, the simple answer to that, not to sound flip or anything, but the simple answer is yes. <laughs> so the, the fact of the matter is, I'm sure Chris will attest to this as well, people that do that our kind of work, that do our kind of work, leadership development and that sort of thing, uh, we have never yet met a leader that's not born. So that's obviously a prerequisite. Um, but as for the so – so let's just put it this way. There are people that are born leaders. There's no question about it. There are people that have a capacity to lead. It's just kind of in their DNA. Just like there are people that are born athletes, born musicians, born mathematicians, born scientists. It doesn't mean that for the rest of us there's no hope, however. So no matter where we're starting, we can always get better at leadership, just like we can get better at anything else. We just have to have the intent and the desire and then begin to you know, study and try and fail and learn from our failures and learn from our achievements, and we can all get better at this. Um, it doesn't mean that we all have the, the DNA of the next, you know, being the next uh, Nelson Mandela, but we can all get better at it. So with that type of, um, you know, while, while we, you in a way claimed that, yes, some people are born different, and that's why they reach those heights, and others can try to get there. That, that's not very encouraging for many, but let's come back to you, Chris. If, if somebody does see that they are not Nelson Mandela and they are working hard, they're not getting, uh, you know, getting farther with this, where can they look within for it to give them some idea about, you know what, I'm working hard. I was told by Steve and Chris that we should work hard and we'll get better, but it's not happening. What could be yeah, going wrong there? Well, I think that Nelson Mandela is a great example. For instance, his father was a tribal chief in, in Africa. So 
Nelson learned from from a very close example. So I think if you're you have an example of a very strong leader in your home, or even perhaps a very weak one, uh, that might influence you to become a leader of, of some sort. But you know, uh, like Steve said, it, it, it you know great leadership is 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 uh, service, and you really have to want to help other people, and without that commitment. You're just taking a title or a parking spot or a corner office. Um, people in leadership really want to, first and foremost, be committed to, to serving others. And, and, and that's, that's kind of the magic ingredient that I see in the most successful leaders that I work with. Steve, when we look at any leader, in fact, the ones who we admire, they have accomplished something. And are we confusing somewhere that an achiever... Or being an achiever is the foundation of being a leader? Because on the other hand, Chris says that you have to serve and not be out there to you know claim the medals all the time. Well, those are those are not mutually exclusive ideas. Uh, the it's it's getting the medals by serving, right? So it's not that you either serve or you achieve. Uh, it's it, the idea is to do both: is to get to the achievement through the act of bringing people together, inspiring others, giving them the uh, the, the, the tools and resources and vision that they need in order to rise up together to, to accomplish something. But, but I think you're right that we shouldn't, we shouldn't confuse achievement with leadership. In other words, the idea behind leadership is to, is to achieve extraordinary things to the, to the point of changing the world for the better, right? But there are many people that have achieved <laughs> so-called results, accumulated wealth, that still have, shall we say, a bit of work to do in terms of how they lead, right? So leadership is, is really, in, in, in many ways, it's about bringing the best out of everybody to accomplish something even beyond what I could do myself. So oftentimes people achieve great results in spite of their ability to, to uh, in, in spite of their leadership faults, right? Um, so, and I, we can say the same thing about position or title. Leadership's got nothing to do with your position not about how far up you've advanced in the organization. It's about, it's about your ability to influence people around you to change things for the better. It's about your ability to stretch and grow yourself and other people. And that is not necessarily something that, comes, that automatically comes with the title of whatever it is, executive, senior vice president, CEO, etc. Now, Chris, if you look at the way people measure, you and I would even measure somebody's success in whatever role or, or projects that they may have done. They look at it by the results. But would you think that if leadership was only to be measured by results, then we are undermining the changes they may have brought about in the people during the process, no matter what the result is? And if we focus only on results, we may end up not developing the people or not inspiring them enough to become the better leaders? Because some people say that a best leader is the one who develops many, many other leaders in the process of delivering results. Yes, I, I agree with that statement. I mean, again, uh, that's, that's what great leaders do, is they, they indeed multiply other leaders. And, you know, I thought you just absolutely nailed that last uh, question there in talking about the fact that a great leader is essentially a force multiplier. They allow the team to do so much more than any individual contributor ever could. And success is sweet, you know, as an individual contributor, of course. But I feel that success as a team, especially as the leader, to pull off all the complexities of a, 
of a big project or you know whatever you're 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 looking to achieve with a team when you do that victory is just sweet because you had to overcome so many obstacles and everyone had to come together and, and bring their business superpower or what have you to, to the fight and, and that's an incredible experience to be a part of and, and I think that's lacking from just single achievements and also if I could if I that's well said if I could add to that um, I think it's about a lot of this has to do with how you define results, right? So that was the way you set up the question. Is it about achieving results? And as business people, as, as capitalists, you know, we have for a long time now defined results solely as the bottom line, solely as profitability. And I think we need to broaden the definition of what we mean by result. It is the bottom line, but it's also about creating the right culture that, that people can feel fulfilled working in, and it's about having an impact on the world. And when, when the, the uh, singular definition of results is money, you run into things like we've been seeing in the news, for example, about you know, the, the price of the EpiPen, right? And, and, you know, the CEO's justification saying, hey, well, we're a business, after all, it's about the money. That singular focus on results is what creates all of the heartache and the suffering that we see in businesses today. So the, these, again, these are not mutually exclusive things. We don't have to sacrifice culture, personal fulfillment, impact on the world for profits or the other way around. So we need to expand what we mean by results. And you are right about it. So there are companies or there are individuals who are somehow getting the task or a project done or initiative that they were handed over. But in the same mode, when they are trying to achieve it, if they were to start thinking that, okay, if I don't achieve it, my neck is on the line. Oh, no, no, no. Let me stop and, and pull back and let me start developing people. Let me be a force multiplier. Not sure where that is going to go. So this would be my last chance to remain in a position of authority and responsibility and opportunity to develop others. So this is a predicament for anyone who is trying to get there. The fully matured ones don't have that confidence issue or don't have those dilemmas, Steve, but people who are developing, perhaps they do. Well, you know, again, it's, it's because they haven't yet figured out or experienced that the way to get that success and those uh, the, you know, quantifiable results that they've been tasked with is to develop other people and bring them along and get them engaged in achieving those results as well, as opposed to you know, being the, um, you know, the autocrat or the dictator that says, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and we're going to do it my way. And the reason that people default to that, I think this is, this is what you're saying, is really it's out of fear. It's, 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 it's the only thing that I know. That other stuff sounds good, but I'm not really convinced that it's going to work. So instead, you know, I'm under the gun. I'm under the pressure. So I'm just going uh, to tighten down the corkscrew here and make sure that, that these, these cogs in the machine crank out what they're supposed to do. Chris, when we look at the world out there, it's not as cradling by, by, by design, right? So people test you, they stretch you, they try to make you do things which you've never done before. And all of that requires you to have the confidence and have the people beside you. And you always have a shortage of time and resources. With that as the environment that somebody is trying to deal with, at what point there is, a, there is an inflection where you say, okay, now I'm done dealing with the problems myself, I'm confident enough, 
and now I'm ready to develop others because that's going to take me to the next level. How does a person cut over from this initial raw stage to someone who is a relatively cooked leader? Well, I think it starts with finding a mentor, a leader, somebody you really respect and want to emulate. I mean, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. All, all business leaders are basically a byproduct of the environment they came from. Everybody has three or four you know, transformational mentors, people that really change their way of thinking or challenge them or, or, or put, put some time and development into them and, and, and made them what they are today. So I think it's, it's really creating a culture of leadership development. Um, you know, I talk about being a business sergeant, and, and, and great sergeants have, have, have awesome corporals. So what are you doing to um, develop the next generation of leaders? I mean, just to back things up for a second, I think that's a great question, but I also think something missing here is that context, and Steve touched on it a little bit earlier, is that central vision. If we have shared uh, a vision with our team and they really want it, I mean, they really, really want it, and everyone is there for the right reasons, we have, you know, great core value, you know, culture fits. We're surrounded by the right people in the right seats. If we're in an organization that's clear with the expectations, great with communication, we have high levels of transparency and trust, we have an open and honest environment to discuss things, it's really easy uh, to, to watch the future leaders kind of surface because you've created an atmosphere and an environment and for which those of them to grow and flourish. Uh, so I think it, it really starts with setting the right context and getting people that actually want to do what you need them to do. If you get that right, the rest of this is a bit easier. So, Steve, if I were to ask you this question that people typically don't start leading at the top. They start leading from the middle. And that's when they don't have that, I would say, opportunity or somebody's not come and said, okay, go ahead and lead from the middle. It, it starts from within. Like that person yeah. takes the initiative from within. And, and in order for that particular fire to get kindled, there has to be something, an environment, uh, some, some background and upbringing, some coaching, all of that. And all, above all of them, there has to be something that has uh, sparked within themselves. That is a point of inflection, perhaps, or, or something different happens. Because when they say, I want to go ahead, I want to charge ahead, otherwise I would be just cogging the wheel. What is that spark? Where does it get triggered from? Let's explore that, listeners. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. So, Steve, we know that people can lead from the top, but also from the middle. And typically they get a flavor or they choose to become leader from the middle or lead from the middle because something snaps within. Now, what is happening? Why, why somebody starts there? And once they do start, so maybe they came back with all the frenzy, but then after some time they don't know where this is going to take them, or maybe they don't understand the art of developing the leadership. And that's where someone otherwise a very good, competent, and a uh, person who has a lot of potential, their, their ability to lead and become a leader gets undermined. How do we crack this problem? Yeah, I don't know that there's one simple answer to that other than to say for, <clears throat> for virtually all of us, it's, uh, it's, an, it's on the job training. It's trial and error. So I think it's uh, wherever that spark comes from uh, that I'm going to step up and lead, regardless of what anybody else in this organization is or is not doing, the question becomes, what can I do to change my piece of this organization for the better? That's like the initial uh, uh, leadership impetus question. And for some people, it's triggered by frustration with things around here that aren't as good as they could be. Sometimes it's an inspiration to make things even better. Whatever it is, once that spark happens, I think it's a mistake at that point to say to ourselves, but I don't really know how to do this. I don't really have it all figured out. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to read a few more books. I'm going to go to a few more seminars, and then maybe I'll step up into that impulse that I have. That's a mistake because for all of us, no matter how many books we've read or seminars we've attended, we have to get out there and start trying to do it because our biggest uh, uh, education, our biggest learnings, will come from trying it, screwing it up, learning from it, adjusting, and trying again. Chris, when you look at the the leaders that we see out there, do you see if they could just go ahead with the attitude of hope that things will work out and keep, you know, uh, bumping their head against the wall or uh, trying different things but not uh, not seeing the results that are supposed to come out and results don't mean money but results in terms of people getting inspired by them and others they can go to a coach as you as you said in the beginning but then it is something within them because coach can only find answers which you have within yourself versus giving you prescription because any formal leadership development may be not truly conducive and maybe it is conducive for one environment but not on the other, you don't want to become leader for an, a given environment. You want to become a leader, leader, period. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you need quite a bit more than hope to be successful in a leadership role. It, it's extremely challenging and, and demanding to do it right. Um, I think, you know, if we're looking for an attribute that, that, that's really important, I think it's perseverance. Um, like Steve said, you're going to get knocked down, punched in the face again and again and again. Most people quit after a bit of that. If the juice isn't worth the squeeze, their end mission isn't a passion or what they're trying to uh, accomplish isn't something that they want with every fiber in their body. Uh, But when we have people that have that passion and perseverance and and they just simply want to make things better, um, they're going to kind of create an opening. And I've seen it many times before with junior leaders. uh, And for whatever reason... um, you know, just grabbing the ball and running with it is the first step in leadership. If, if you're an employee, of a mid-manager, a senior leader, and you see things aren't right and you don't say anything, you're part of the problem. So consensus management leadership uh, gets us into a lot of trouble. 
We need strong leaders to speak the truth, and leaders really need to stick up for their people and, and be a liaison between, you know, uh, the board or senior management and, and, and the line employees. Because that's all a company is at the end of the day, is a, is a collection of human beings thinking and feeling the same things. And when we don't do a very good job uh, getting everybody to feel that, you know, people don't want to take those uh, opportunities to create those, you know, collisions or starfish opportunities to, to, to bring leadership to the organization. So, so our job as leaders is to create that environment. So, Steve, while we know politics has been given a bad name, do you think a person, one is to say, okay, a leader can inspire others, but in order for them to do that job willingly, should they be utilizing politics, which, which is called as the game, quote-unquote, the game in corporations? Well, I haven't seen an organization that's, that's devoid of politics. Um, any organization of more than one person will have will have a political dynamic. I, even organizations of one person <laughs> will have, you know, we can have your own internal politics, your own internal game that you're playing. Um, so, so to say that you know we we want to uh, create a place that has no politics, I think is a little bit unrealistic and doesn't really understand human nature. The problem is that we have come to put a negative spin on on, on what politics means. Uh, that you know. Po- Politics is bad is where is where our current uh, perception or paradigm sits for you know for a lot of good reasons when we think about you know the the political elected official world but in in companies we're not working with elected officials and we're not working with people that are that are leading from a distance or leading through sound bites or leading through the filter of the media we're working up close and personal and breathing the same oxygen. Uh, every day, if not literally, then certainly figuratively, because we share the same goals and we're and and we're you know influenced by the same policies and culture and all that. So so let's not say no no more politics. Let's understand that that we need to learn how to work with the human dynamics that exist everywhere. So um, if you mean by politics compromising your own values in order to get something done in the organization that I'm being held accountable for, then that's not that's not the way to do it. That's that's not what I mean by politics. What I mean by politics is understanding everybody's vision, everybody's aspirations, understanding what people are trying to get out of you know personally and collectively out of this experience, and then seeing what we can do to um, to fulfill as many of those aspirations as possible while we are pursuing the central mission of ma- making this enterprise as successful as possible for the benefit of our customers. So, Chris, if we took Steve's example about how politics can be incorporated, or it's going to exist, it's not that we are incorporating deliberately, but it's going to exist, how do we prevent ourselves, on one hand, to remain uh, but while we want to remain authentic on one end, but on the other hand, not let that authenticity and that charging, the, you know, leading the charge type of an attitude be misconstrued as someone who's going against the grain of an organization. And it's not fear. It is just more about if you've got the rest of the leadership team and you're, say, a CIO, this being a CIO talk network, if there's a CIO who's trying to go and charge ahead and they want to be authentic and they want to have... Uh, the right things done for the right reasons and a vision. And there are still some people who are important and can be can pose a stumbling block. What would you do? Manipulate? Would you 
coach them at that time? How would you inspire them to follow you? Now, that's what I'm calling about, talking about leadership. Not only the people who report to you or below you, but even the executive management. How do you make? Yeah. How do you inspire a top top guy? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the top the, the, the top people's responsibility. I hate to get back to this environment thing, but it, it, that's really senior leadership's uh, responsibility. And here's what I mean by that: um, politics are, are very unhealthy. They're they're, they're not a profitable uh, venture in, in, in corporate America. In fact, you know, I, I talk to some people that a good bit of their day is is being political versus getting the work done or you know executing the mission of the organization. So so this is a pretty big issue. And what I would say is, if you if you stamp out the uh, the environment for for which politics to to thrive, uh, that's the first step. And and what I mean by that is, we have a central vision. We everyone knows what what the mission is and what their part is and how that feeds into it. We we have the right people in the right seats, and the right people don't gossip and and and, and don't, try not to be political. You know, they respect the core values and everyone else's individual contri- uh, contribution. You know. Well, we have like a strong uh, data component. Everyone has a scorecard. It's kind of hard to be political when you're on a weekly number, and it is what it is. Uh, I think a lot of organizations that have a lot of politics are lacking the metrics to define who really is an A player and who's just an A golfer, who, who, who wears great shoes at the office. And, and, it's, and it becomes more of a, you know, a, a school kind of politics uh, it can be like a click in junior high school. Can, can, that can feed into the workplace because the environment exists for that to grow there. So if we have an open and honest environment to, to state our business issues and we're not concerned about sticking our neck off because it's going to get lopped off um, and we can just call out our business issues, um, and even if that's attached to another executive, people would say, oh, don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. You, this is, you're starting a war or politics. Well, no, you know, I'm just trying to fix the problem here. So I think if we're all, you know, uh, rowing in the same direction, beating to the same drumbeat, you know, there's not a big opportunity for that. But, you know, when you have um, uh, quarterly agreements with people and you have processes in place, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if you have a business operating system, and that's what I think is kind of the silver bullet in business, is then everybody agrees this is how we're going to act. And when people don't, they're the ones that are wrong, not not the system we've created. Steve, you yeah, must I'd like to, have. I'd like to respond to that. I'd like to respond to that a little bit too, because sure. I think you know Chris is hitting on a couple of things that are that are really uh, really critical here. First of all, just again as a note, the the way that you're using the word politics is with the negative connotation, and obviously it can be very negative, but it's also just something that exists, and the politics in some places can be quite healthy, right? It's it's more of uh, you know, try, trying to find common ground and common values and acting from those and challenging people when they don't. There's a little bit of that that's political as well. But the, the main thing is that Chris is, des- is describing the ideal scenario, which is that the culture, you know, a positive culture of leadership, personal accountability, uh, leadership at all levels is started at the top of the organization, right? That, that somebody who is indeed a CIO and is part of the C-suite has an influence on the, to some degree, on, on the culture of the entire enterprise, if not just the IT part of the enterprise, maybe even the entire enterprise. Or the CEO, you know, it starts at the top and, and, and rolls down, and, and that's ideal, and it's the conventional wisdom, certainly, and it's not always the case. So what happens then, 
when I'm you know, running an IT project and I'm a middle manager, let's say, if I, if I have an, in a hierarchical organization, and the culture that's coming down from the top is not that. The culture that's coming down from the top is political in the negative sense. It is fear-based, and it is, you know, don't stick your neck out, or it's going to get chopped off, and it is do what I tell you to do and don't challenge me. Then in that scenario, what then do I do with the piece of the organization that I have influence over? And do I need to sit back and wait for those people to get their act together, or can I start doing something now? And my bias on this is very strong, built on, you know, 25-plus years of doing this kind of work. Some of the most significant leadership that I've ever seen and the most significant change that I've ever seen happen has come from the middle of the organization, the front line of the organization, from people that say, you know what, that's the culture, quote-unquote, of our company, but I'm going to create a different culture right here, a microculture, as it were, and we're going to do things differently, and by virtue of that, we're going to prove to those folks up there, whether it's the, you know, the CIO or the CEO, we're going to prove that there's a better way to do things through the results that we get. And, and oftentimes that's, that's how grassroots level change happens, is just by showing through our own results there's a better way to do things, Instead of waiting for permission to do things differently in order to show that, we just, you know, we do a little prototype, we try something a little different, we get the results, and then we broadcast it, right? Then we say, hey, listen, guys, I just want to tell you, here's how we're doing it over here in this neighborhood. And maybe this is something that the entire organization should consider. And that's, is that politics? Maybe it is. But it's very healthy politics because it's, it's adding to the wisdom of the organization through our own actions. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Chris, when we come back, I'd like to pose a question here where leaders are successful in one, and it is there are many examples there. They may have been awesome and, and uh, tremendously successful in one environment, but not as much in another. That means, are we saying leadership is dependent on the organization they, they go to, or there could be a leadership DNA and a common denominator that you can take alongside with you to any organization and you can be equally successful because nobody would want to feel as a leader that their success, suppose Nelson Mandela was out of his element, could he have been equally successful in another country or in another tribe? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Steve, leader can be successful in one environment, and they have been, there have been many, many examples where they were not as stellar a success in another 
So what do we attribute that to? Yeah, it's, it's really a great question. And, you know, I wish there were a kind of a magic bullet or a formula that works for all people in all situations, but there's not. Uh, other than to say, I think there are leadership behaviors that, that apply everywhere. And, and no matter how effective you are with these kinds of behaviors, there are going to be times you wake up one morning and you say, you know what? I am just in the wrong freaking place. This company is not, this company and I are not aligned on a values level or whatever, and that's fine too. But I would say that, that and this is something that I've, I've shared with, uh, with, with people for, for, for many, many years, and it's, it's not so much a leadership, it's based on a leadership philosophy, but it's a particular behavior. And that is, if you're moving into a new organization, into a new environment, or you have new responsibilities, take the time, instead of, you know, what the impulse that a lot of people have is, okay, I'm a new leader, let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm all about, what we're going to do here, here's how things are going to be different, and it's just talk, 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 talk. Instead, take the time to listen. Talk to everybody that you can whose work you are going to influence and his work is going to influence you and sit down and just get to know who they are, get to know their perception of this place, uh, the pluses and minuses, just learn, be in learning mode for as long as you can. I remember a while back I was speaking uh, at, uh, I was just doing a little guest lecture at, uh, at UC Berkeley in the Haas School of Business, and one of the MBA students asked me that question, uh, how do I... When I, when I go to work for a new company, you know, freshly minted from Berkeley, what do I do to establish my credibility? And the advice that I gave this young gentleman was understand that your MBA doesn't mean shit once you, when you get to that new company. Nobody's going to be impressed with that. So instead of trying to prove how smart you are, ask. Ask about them. Learn about them. And so every time you're in, into a new environment, then you're, you're getting the lay of the land, and then you can figure out your approach from there. So, Chris, when we look at what uh, just uh, Steve mentioned, and he spoke about behaviors, and behavior essentially follows mindset. It could be a knee-jerk reaction when you are not conscious about your subconscious, or it could be a mindset that you carry. So, if you are in one environment, you have developed a mindset which could partially be uh, influenced by the comfort level that you may have, and you go to another environment, and you you do not have all of those comfort factors, so the environment may not be all that conducive, but isn't that where a leader is supposed to shine? The uncertain environment, the one where the, the everything is not in alignment what they were, because that's their growth and learning opportunity. And if they did it, not because they wanted to just showcase that how great a leader they are, but instead became a student leader, like you say, servant leader, could they not become a student leader and in that process shine? Yes. And like Steve said, when you're new, it's better to listen rather than to talk. You have two ears and one mouth. I think that's by design. So uh, having said that, I think if a, if a leader has great success in one organization, um, it, it's because of that alignment to the values of the mission. You know, it's, there's a natural um, interest there. It's not forced. It's not work. Uh, it's, it's what they wanted to do. If they go to that next organization and they don't have that same passion, you know, I, I would question if they would be, as, as, you know, as, as successful as their last one. So it's really you know, up to the candidates, uh, the managers. It's really up to them to make sure wherever they're going, 
has a, a, a conducive environment uh, that, that's going to be good for them to operate. And if that's not the case, they're going to be severely limited as a, as, as a leader, and they'll probably be pretty unhappy as a person as well. So I think it, it really comes down to you have a personal brand and a personal style, and, and that has to match up to the company's uh, a style and, and their brand. And when we have uh, misalignment, you know, we have bad hires, and, you know, we all know how, how expensive it is, you know, to, to, to make a bad hire. So it, it's all relative. Steve, don't you think even though we are leader and we're supposed to inspire people, but we have a duty to go ahead and make the most impact towards for our benefit as well as for the world out there by picking up the places where we are the most effective. If that's the mantra, then why do people continue to stay, even though they are great leaders? I'm not saying that they should walk away or run away from an adverse environment, but they have to be always looking for environments or places or do things which are going to make them most effective what is the yeah, approach again, to doing that? i think you know i think that question you know you said before that uh, you know behavior comes from mindset and all that and, and the kind of questions that that people ask about leadership also come from their mindset and and that question comes from a a mindset of uh of a zero-sum game that in other words my Success is an ex- is is something different from our success. That in order for you know, I, I have these I have these conflicting agendas that I want to I want to be a successful person in my career, and the organization needs to be successful. And what I'm suggesting is that it's both. It's both. Having said that, there are times where I find that I. I'm just in, like I said a few minutes ago, I'm in the wrong place. So it's not a failure for me to do the analysis that says, look, this organization's values are not congruent with my values. And because of that, I'm not going to contribute. I'm going to feel unfulfilled, and I'm not going to contribute in the best possible way to this particular enterprise. I shouldn't be here. I need to go somewhere else. That does happen, and it happens frequently. I think that the problem is that we jump to that conclusion oftentimes too quickly. You see what I mean? So in other words, it doesn't feel right, so I jump to the conclusion, I'm in the wrong place. And that's the, the last conclusion that we should come to. The first thing is, what am I missing? You know, where am I out of alignment? Are these things fixable? And, you know, can I, can I make it work here for me and for us? Because those two things are, are intimately connected. And if I could raise the stakes here just a little bit, the, the, ultimately what, what fuels a leader and what fuels a business is love. The ideal scenario is I need to love the work that I'm doing. I need to love the people I'm doing it with, and I need to love the people that I'm doing it for, otherwise known as customers or clients. And, you know, we dance around that word a lot. We call it passion. We call it commitment. We call it service. We call it, and all those things are true, and they're all part of it. But the bottom line is, this is a very personal endeavor. And if that, if that fire is not burning in my heart, I need, to figure out, I need to figure out a way to light it. And if I can do that, even in the most seemingly adverse situations, that's what unleashes the energy. That's what unleashes the creativity. That's what unleashes the problem solving. And that's what unleashes, ultimately, the results. Chris, based on Steve's response here, what do you think 
would keep the fire burning or if suppose something extinguishes it how what would trigger rekindling it is this something that we say okay we want to be something because you want your and, and and i'm talking about basic human psychology they want to have they have the survival instinct so you're saying that everything else if already is met is when we will have the time and the energy and the mindset and that love which will get kindled so that I can go ahead and charge it and keep everything else on the side. Yeah, I think the love's an important thing. I'm, it, it really is. And, and the, the, the simple uh, answer for that is life is really short. And to go to a place and work with people you don't love and do things you don't love to do for a company you don't love, it's just a slow, painful death. And I think when we, um, we, we go to an organization um, because their values are congruent with ours, we're more apt to, to put out, so to speak, that fire and these opportunities to have what I like to call like the pilot light, the internal pilot light on, on every human is a little different. Some burns real hot. They're real intense uh, people, and some people it's just a little flicker. It's on, but you don't see a lot of it. Um, that's something that the individual controls. Uh, in the in the process that I teach, talk about GWC or get it, want it capacity. You know, get it. Do they understand how to do the job? W. Do they want to do it? Generally, do their feet hit the floor in the morning? Do they want to do the job? And C. Capacity. Do they have the time or the, you know, uh, emotional capacity to do the job? The W part is something the employee brings, and as leaders and managers of those people, it's important for us to know to get to know them and what makes them tick individually, not just at the office. And when we really understand what they want, we then can create a custom uh, training development plan to to, to help them achieve those things. So my point is, when people uh, are interested in something and then you create something around that, it's more likely to get done than if you just say, hey, I want you to do this, figure it out. Um, It's much easier to pull a string across the table than it is to push a string across the table. Steve, if people ask you the question, hey, I want to crack this leadership code. I love what you're telling me, but I have bills to pay. How do you get them out of that conflict or, or dilemma? Well, I, I would say, you know, that's a practical problem. I'm telling you, this is a practical problem because you say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I would like to change the world, but guess what? My son is going to college. Or I've got these other things which are based, connected to survival. So a leader should have a way to figure out or give themselves an answer that, hey, that will be taken care of somehow. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I, I again, I don't know that I can say anything other than we've been saying all along. If you want, if you want to increase the odds of your being successful, of prospering, of putting your kids through college, then you need to learn these leadership skills. They are not mutually exclusive ideas. They, listen, I'm a business guy. So, so I approach leadership from a business perspective. I've been, I've been in this arena for a very long time. So when I say, for example, that, that love is, is, the, is the core of great business, that not, I'm just not sitting around making that up. And that comes from years of seeing over and over again that the most successful, prosperous leaders that I've met in two and a half decades of doing this work get those results in the ways that Chris and I have been discussing here, right? So when somebody says, yeah, it's a nice idea, but I've got to put my kids to college, yes, that's why you should do it. 
because this is going to give you the best, the best chance of success. And so it comes down to, you know, finding, as you know, Chris has said this a, a, a couple of times in a couple of different ways, find the people in your life that, that really influenced you in the way that they led, and that could be negatively or positively. So think about the worst leader that you've ever had, that you've ever worked for. What did they do? Make a little, you know, kind of inventory of the kind of behaviors that they, that they engaged in. And then, this is very subtle, pay close attention or you might miss this, don't do those things, right? And then the other side is what are those people that really influenced you and, and are there things that, that they've done and approaches that they've had that have emulated, that you can emulate? And then, you know, find the people that you can go to for help and for advice and for, and for uh, everybody needs to have, have a sounding board that they can bounce their ideas off of. But the first thing that has to happen, the shift that, happens, that has to happen, is the understanding that this is the way, this, this leadership, this extreme leadership approach, is the way that, that we're going to get the best results, and that is going to translate into money in my pocket. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and when we are back, uh, so Chris, I will put in front of you three S, three S's, which is success, satisfaction, and smiles. And the reason I put them in front of you is because traditionally, a successful leader, even as uh, Steve, you finished up your statement, you said more money in the pocket, which is perfectly okay. That's one of the components. But shouldn't a leader who is successful, not only professionally, but also as a leader of the family, as a leader in the community, and is able to live with daily satisfaction and is able to smile more besides just having million dollars in their bank. If that is true, then what is the code that this particular 3S-based leadership requires versus only the success-based leadership? Let's explore this. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. All right, Chris, so show us the 3S-based leadership code that you could crack. Okay, so we look at success, satisfaction, and smiles. I think the, the, the code word uh, that will unlock this one is giving, uh, helping first. When you help first with no expectation of return uh, and you're fully just into giving and helping develop other people, uh, really big things happen, and they start to emulate that, and they start to give and help first. And then we create a culture of, of making things better, uh, and I think that brings high levels of satisfaction. For instance, you know, uh, Steve and I work with uh, uh, a bunch of very successful business people, 
uh, is what we do. So I'm, I'm not going to speak for him, but I've get, I, I'm guessing he's met some pretty unhappy multimillionaires, as I have. And um, I've actually seen a few transformations of folks that had, had on the outside what would be everything, the success, uh, the accolades, the money, but personally they, they weren't very happy. So watching people kind of go through that transformation and start to give and, and stop just taking from the marketplace, uh, that's, that's a process that I've seen work effectively. So um, giving, helping first is what I think uh, w- would help anyone uh, unlock anything they're trying to. All right, Steve, your comments. Yeah, I, I would like to, I'd like to build on that. Uh, this, is, this is a dynamic that Chris is describing that I, I refer to as greater than yourself, or GTY for short. The greatest leaders that I've met over the years are the ones that, that don't focus the attention on their own greatness, but rather on elevating other people to achieve even more than they have. And this is something, you know, talk about you know, the, the quality of life at work and at home, we have come to, we've been conditioned to believe that there are two distinctly different worlds, and they are not. We're the same person at work as we are at home, literally speaking. Same DNA, internal organs, the whole thing, right? But somehow we say, okay, the things that I do as in my family and with my friends, you know, I support them, I love them, I, I raise them up, and then I go to work and it doesn't apply. It doesn't make any sense. So to focus on that, that generosity of spirit, to, to have... And to follow the impulse that we have to make our kids more successful than we are, to make our team as successful as it could possibly be at work, uh, to to bring myself, my authentic self, to my personal relationships and my professional relationships, that's the key, that there's no schizophrenia between my work self and my home self. I need to integrate those two. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Steve and Chris, for sharing your thoughts on how we can crack our own leadership code and actually help build many other leaders. Thank you so much again. Thanks for having me on. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, and please join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care, and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.